0: we start today with the shortage of family doctors in british columbia this is impacting a lot of people in bc right now i've heard a lot from listeners who have said they've had trouble accessing a doctor even to get simple things like a prescription renewal walk-in clinics also becoming less reliable for families, that includes my own family. We've been using a, a walk-in clinic for years that now that has really restricted their capacity. There is a movement now to fix this and get more family doctors in BC. Let's talk about that now with my guest, Alexis Reed. Alexis is the project lead at com. Hi, Alexis. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for coming on. Tell me about healthcare matters. What are you, you guys have a petition going there, right?
1: Yeah, we do. Our petition has uh just over 26,000 signatures now. So, we are petitioning the government to make serious, tangible, effective change to address this crisis.
0: Yeah, how many people are without a family doctor in BC right now?
1: We are estimating close to one million people wow. in D.C.
0: Gee whiz, that's yeah. a that's a lot. And what are the trend lines in that? Like, is that num- that number going up? Right?
1: It's going up. It seems almost every day there's a new clinic closing or more doctors saying that they're burnt out and they can't continue because they're not being paid enough and their workload is completely overwhelming.
0: Yeah, I, we've talked about this on the show before. Uh, one of the, the guests we discuss this. this is dr kevin mcleod from lionsgate hospital now he's a specialist but you know he was recently away for 10 days and when he said he got back to work the number of people who were desperately calling him trying to get prescriptions renewed he said was just off the chart i'll play a little clip here for you alexis get your thoughts dr kevin mcleod here in an earlier show
2: and somebody just renewing your prescriptions, I see this time and time again where, you know, somebody's just had all their scripts renewed. And then you look at the drugs and you go, but why are you still on this? And you, you can't really expect the, the doc in the walk-in clinic who has a completely overwhelming
0: schedule and three minutes to spend with you to kind of go through all your drugs and say, okay, well, you don't need this. Yeah. So he said it was interesting that when people are relying on those walk-in clinics, like, sometimes stuff gets missed. Have you heard that too, Alexis?
1: Oh, absolutely. We call that episodic care. And it really seems to be what the BC government is focusing their investments on right now. walk in clinics, UPCCs, telemedicine, and then, of course, emergency departments. This is where people are going for their routine care because they no longer have a relationship with a family doctor that can adjust those meds or continue on with a treatment plan.
0: Yeah. Speaking to Alexis Reed, BC healthcare matters their petition drive to get more family doctors in BC. And this is one that I've been struggling with myself here over the last few weeks is trying to get a simple prescription renewed. I can't get into the walk-in clinic I normally go to because they're just restricting the number of people going in there. So I, I can't figure out how to get this prescription renewed. Are you, are you hearing a lot of that?
1: I am. So depending on the prescription, you some people have luck with telehealth. There are multiple right. telehealth providers in BC. Some telehealth providers won't uh, renew your prescription depending on what it is.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I've been looking so, into that. So the telehealth option is one I'm still kind of researching. Like, Do they charge you a fee when you go on there and do telehealth?
1: It's be covered through MSP, although I have heard that TELUS Health is allowing people kind of a special um, relationship with them that costs around $4,500 a year oh. where you can,
0: yeah. Oh, okay. So people are paying big bucks to, to get access to a doctor.
1: People are desperate. And I believe it's leaving room for an unregulated two-tier system. Hmm through telehealth providers.
0: How do you think this could be fixed? I mean, you've got a lot of people signing your petition. What's your message to government? What do you want them to do?
1: Our message to government is basically refocus their investments into family medicine. Um, They're renegotiating the Physician Master Agreement right now with the doctors of BC. And what we're really asking is to focus their investments on making family medicine um, tangible for people and desirable for new graduates or for people coming into B.C. We have plenty of family doctors in British Columbia, but fewer and fewer of them are choosing to go the family medicine route in favor of working out of province or working in telehealth environments.
0: Yeah and is it um, does it come down to a money issue like are is there, are family doctors just not making enough money so it's a fee for service system right like i've heard you know we often think of doctors as being very wealthy but if you're running a small practice you get a lot of overhead is that the problem is that why they're not paying paid enough is that what's going on
1: i i do believe that is a large part of the problem so um, we i believe that uh, family doctors in BC are the lowest paid in Canada, or among the lowest paid. Oh. They get about thirty-one, thirty-two dollars per patient visit. That's a fifteen-minute visit, yeah. and of that, around forty percent of it is going to their overhead, is going to their MOAs, is going to the their rent, is going to their utility bills.
0: Yeah. When I spoke to Dr. Kevin McLeod about this, and he's a specialist and he says he's making, you know, he's making good money, as are a lot of his specialist colleagues, but he thinks that some of that money should be redistributed to family doctors. Here's what he had to say to me. I'll get your thoughts. Dr. Kevin McLeod here. You say, look, like specialists like McLeod are paid enough. They don't need more money um
2: let's redirect or direct all new monies to the family docs like that's where the crisis is it's the supply and demand system put the money where the crisis is and and just raise the single basic fee that a family doc sees or gets for seeing you in their office
0: okay all the other specialist doctors in bc are probably gritting their teeth saying no don't don't cut my salary (laughs) and give it to family doctors but what do you think of that
1: I think that, I can't speak for specialists, I'm not a specialist physician, but I do think that more and more specialists and more and more um, hospital uh, employees are starting to see how difficult their jobs are when family physicians aren't working and when people can't see family doctors. Their emergency rooms are becoming completely flooded with people needing, you know, treatment for fairly regular things and then of course people are being over um, referred to specialists as well because walking clinics don't have the ability to treat concerns on a longer basis they really just have you for that 10-15 minutes and they have to come up with some kind of plan for you right there
0: right Right. Do you think this could potentially get worse too? Like I was reading that a lot of family doctors, the ones that are still around, are, a lot of them are getting older, getting set to retire.
1: Yeah, I think I read that around 40% of our family doctors or something like that are over uh, 55. So, And if they're not making enough money to really make ends meet or make a really good standard of living, then there's no reason for them to really stay around. I have heard stories of family doctors deciding to retire a little bit early, earlier
0: than they might have. Thanks for coming on today to talk about this. I appreciate it a lot.
1: Okay. Thank you so much.
0: Okay. Thank you. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about animal rights now. What exactly are the legal rights of animals? Do animals have any rights at all under Canadian law? This is an emerging and growing area of the law in Canada and around the world. I've got one of Canada's top experts standing by on this. First, have a listen to this. This is one of the key and critical cases when it comes to animal law in the United States. Maybe you've heard about this. It's the case of Happy. Happy the elephant. Happy lives at the Bronx Zoo in New York City, and she's lived there since the 1970s, and she lives alone in an enclosure there. And animal rights activists have been trying for years to have her removed from the zoo and transferred to an elephant sanctuary where she would live with other elephants. Now the case has been unsuccessful so far, but it is heading to a New York appeal court very soon. Have a listen to this report now from Pix 11 News in New York.
2: The future of a 48-year-old elephant is in question. Is happy, the elephant truly happy? or is
3: her life better lived on an elephant sanctuary?
0: In a flash, Happy would immediately understand that she's no longer in prison. Uh, we're talking about moving her from a place where she's by herself in one acre at the Bronx Zoo to a sanctuary where she would be with many other elephants on 2,600 acres.
2: But before Happy can go anywhere, the Non-Human Rights Project has to convince Bronx Supreme Court
0: Judge Allison it. for 14 months presenting affidavits from Experts and evidence they say shows Happy is held like a prisoner at the Bronx Zoo, her home for more than 40 years. Attorneys for NHRP
2: say their experts say Happy is illegally being held in captivity.
0: This is a case in, that is truly involving rights. Uh, uh, the non-human rights project is really the only Um, organization in the united states who is insisting that non-human animals have legal rights okay all right let's discuss this now that is one of many cases that's being watched closely my guess is rebecca bretter rebecca is an animal rights lawyer at bretter law and i'm pleased to welcome her back to the show hi rebecca
3: hi mike thanks for having me
0: thanks a lot for coming on again the case of happy the elephant there at the bronx zoo is a really fascinating one what are your thoughts Mm -hmm. on it
3: Oh, I absolutely love it. I mean, love may be the wrong word. That's how I feel about it as, as personally, but professionally, I have so much respect for Steve Wise and his and his organization, the Non-Human Rights Project, because really what they're fighting for are fundamental rights that we all have as human beings. The right to liberty, the right to autonomy, the right to live our lives in a way that we're able to live out as naturally as possible. So when we talk about animal rights, we're not talking about, you know, the right to vote, the right to drive a car and and the rights, those types of rights. We're really talking about some fundamental rights that any and all sentient beings should have the right to have.
0: Right. And as far as it, happy the elephant goes, as I understand it, the zoo has argued that, it's potentially would be unsafe for her to be at a sanctuary with other elephants that she could be, you know, she's lived alone for so long that it could be a problem. Like she could be attacked by the other elephants. What do you think of that?
3: Yeah. I mean, the zoos, there's the Edmonton zoo here in Canada. I'll use that as an example too, okay. where industry very often says that when people are trying to, trying to fight for these animals to, to be, Transferred to a sanctuary where they're not looked at every day, where they have more space to move around, where they could, where their feet could actually touch some natural ground, and they could exhibit natural behavior and socialize with other animals. So when when people are trying to get animals transferred to places like that, very often one of the first responses we get from industry is, "Oh no, well that's not good for the animal." You know, the animal has been used to living here all of his life, and it would be potentially detrimental to them. And in some cases, it may be. I'm not going to say that, that, you know, that's, that's an impossible argument to make. In some cases, that may be. But generally speaking, the animals that we keep in captivity all over the world would be much, much better off in a sanctuary or, or even back in the wild if, if they haven't been in captivity long enough. So it's, it's really, um, it, it's a matter of allowing these animals to live out their lives in a way that they should, in the same way as, as we do. I don't mean same way, you know, I could see people starting to yell like, well, no, the animals can't live out their, their lives in the same way as we do, obviously. You know, they can't drive cars and this and that. But <laughs> if, we, if we erase all of that, you know, and really just have some common sense. A lot of this does come down to common sense, but it's a history of us having really dominion over animals, thinking that we're so much better and that we could do whatever we want with them when really we need to have a fundamental shift in our relationship with non-human animals. And our legal system is very slow to recognize that.
0: Speaking of animal rights lawyer Rebecca Breder, I guess in the the case of Happy the Elephant, there are a lot of cases that are being watched closely. This one heading to a a New York appeal court here very soon. So that'll be Mm -hmm. very interesting to see what happens there. I, I guess it comes down to an argument that this particular zoo would argue that this elephant is the property of the zoo. The zoo owns the elephant, and they will make the decisions about what happens to that elephant. I get is that yeah. the is that the gist of the argument like the lawyers there are arguing like no 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 she's actually a prisoner and has has her own individual rights is that yeah, what it comes ha- down to
3: Yes, happy's happy's case is different than I would say most other animal law related cases the non human rights project the the organization that's taking on happy and other animals to to have them transferred to sanctuaries they're using what's called habeas corpus and you may have heard of that it's sure. it, it's been used in history for uh, for transferring prisoners out of prison and and liberating them so to speak and that's what they're trying to use as a legal principle that that animals like happy are being held prisoner and they should be li- quote unquote liberated to a place that's more appropriate to them because the biggest challenge really in any legal system um, is is the ability for people to fight for animals if there isn't something very specific, like in the sense that, oh, I don't like the way that he was taking care of the animal. I I, I think that animal should be be transferred out the way we have to start getting creative with how to do that. And and the non-human rights project is doing that by using very long established historical legal principles, like habeas corpus, and trying to apply that to animals. Yeah. Because they don't have standing.
0: There's a really good column on this in the Vancouver Sun by Ian Mulgrew that I encourage people to check out. And he's written about this particular case and others. And one of the, the points that he, he emphasizes in, in his article has been entered into evidence in, in court is that if a court recognized that an animal, like an elephant, had habeas corpus rights, then that would potentially open up this, like, Pandora's box of, of lawsuits for, against farms and zoos and aquariums from people trying to liberate these animals from these facilities, like even owners of pets, mm-hmm. even pet owners could be sued because their dogs or cats have got rights. Is that <laughs> like alarmism or how do you yeah, how totally. do you analyze
3: it? I, I think it's total alarmism and, and I appreciate, you know, I... He has to put the other side of the spectrum out there. And and if you just think about any kind of social social development in the history of humankind, there has always been, you know, when women were given rights, when, uh, when African Americans were no longer enslaved, at the beginning of all of those social movements, there's always been this huge alarmism, like our economy is going to collapse, the world is going to end, and really everything is done. You have to start with the fundamental belief that non-human animals deserve to be treated well and properly. They, they're they not here to entertain us. They're not here just for our purpose. And and the idea that, well, if laws come into play um, for for giving animal rights, what does that mean for agriculture? What does that mean for zoos? Well, right. fundamentally what it means is that animals will have to have better protection and be able to live lives much better than they do now, like chickens that aren't allowed, that aren't even able to open up their wings their entire lives. Yeah, will it have an effect on industry? Perhaps, and and likely so, as it should. That's how we evolve as humankind.
0: Are there any jurisdictions around the world where animal rights have been recognized by governments or in case law that some animals are... Like I've seen this word sentient used. Yes. What what yes. is the what is the legal relevance of that?
3: Yeah, it's recognizing that animals are more than just property. So even though they're technically still considered property, that they're sentient beings. So there are jurisdictions all around the world like Spain and France and UK recently that adopt a legislation that recognizes specifically in their lives that animals are sentient. And even here closer What is to what does that mean? Respect. What is
0: what is the definition of that?
3: Yeah, it's I think all, all of them have a slightly different definition, but it's the ability to feel pain and the right. the ability to feel emotion along those lines. But really, what does that really mean in, in the legal sphere? So in the UK, for example, when they recently adopted this law, they, they also interestingly, first they said all vertebrates and then uh, more recently they said lobsters and octopuses and crabs are also added to the list of animals that are considered sentient. But then right after you read the fine print, and it says it doesn't affect the catching or or, or the restaurant industry. So how meaningful is it, really? And some argue, you know, even here in Quebec, we have I'm in Montreal now. And um, here in Quebec, uh, in 2015, it recognized in its provincial legislation that animals are sentient beings. And at first, you know, we were a little bit skeptical. Some of us were like, yes, it's a a good step forward. But on the other hand, what is it really going to translate into when it comes to protecting animals under the law? And, you know, more recently in January of this year, there was an animal cruelty case and a man beat his dog. I'm not going to get into the terrible descriptions, but the dog was, let's just say, in a deplorable state. And um, relying partly on the sentient laws in Quebec, there was a prohibition to uh, keep animals away from him for 15 years. So he wasn't allowed to owning animals for 15 years. And he was in prison for seven months, sentenced to prison wow. uh, for seven months. So, And the court relied on, on the sentience provisions. And you know, what I wanted to say just quickly is, is yeah. to give a shout out to, to Parliament right now that is introducing the Jane Goodall Act, and that's a piece of legislation that is meant to ban the captivity of apes and elephants and other animals like lions and tigers and bears and, and hopefully hundreds of other animals. And, um, and what's neat about that, I mean, we already have a ban on keeping whales and dolphins in captivity in Canada, but what's really neat about this proposed bill is that it will provide, at least the way it's drafted now, some limited standing to animals in court, which what really what that really means is that if, if people will be able to be appointed to advocate on behalf of animals in relation to their situation in captivity. So,
0: so does that bill mean that if that passes, it would mean that what like you you couldn't go to a zoo and see like a gorilla or a lion like that would be illegal?
3: yeah right now, um just like most laws when they get when they get passed, they grandfathers institutions that already have animals, but uh, the intent of it is to not allow those institutions to display animals for the purpose of entertainment, kind of like what happened with the Vancouver Aquarium in two thousand and nineteen when the federal law came into play, and that whales and dolphins were uh, were prohibited from there was a ban on keeping them in captivity. Vancouver Aquarium and Marine Land were no longer uh, allowed and are no longer allowed to display these animals for the purpose of entertainment.
0: All right. Welcome back to the show as we continue talking about animal rights in Canada with my guest, Rebecca Bretter, just a few more minutes with her. Rebecca, just taking, you, you mentioned earlier about this piece of legislation, the proposed Jane Goodall Act in front of the House of Commons and Taking a look at some of the details of that law, it would basically ban the new, new captivity of lions, apes, bears, and and other animals, right? So, like, existing zoos would be exempted. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, they would be grandfathered in, but the animals still in captivity wouldn't be allowed to be there for for the sole purpose of entertainment. So things would look different. Things would look different. The idea is to... Help transition institutions from zoos to more sanctuary-based type of um, places for animals.
0: Yeah. So, like, if you think about it, a facility like the Toronto Zoo, one of the largest in Canada, would they be allowed to? They'd be one of the they'd be one of the facilities that grandfathered in, right? Yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. As would the Vancouver Zoo.
0: The Vancouver Zoo too. Okay. So, would they be yes. allowed to? Would they be allowed to acquire new animals in the future, going forward, if that bill no. becomes law?
3: no they wouldn't be able to uh, unless there is the fine print that unless it's in the best interest of animals and of course yeah. this bill is still in in the process of going through parliament and it's probably going to be amended and revised a number of times but the idea there is that is to end captivity of all large animals and 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 probably even the smaller animals i think that's the way we're going and part of it is when this bill was first introduced in November 2020, it did not include lions and, and tigers. And there's such a problem with roadside zoos, especially in Ontario,
1: yeah.
3: that uh, we don't see so much of it in B.C., but in other places like Ontario and other parts of Canada, it yeah. is quite a, a problem. I mean, there aren't any regulations or laws governing that. So people are literally importing lions and tigers and yeah. you know elephants and, and going around like like it was the 1700s. And it's both. Mm. Not only is it really harmful to animals, and and just imagine that they live in barren cages their Do you entire think lives.
0: We just have one minute le- for people. We have one minute left, Rebecca. Like, have you ever visited some of these zoos? Like, have you ever like have you ever been to the San Diego Zoo? No, <laughs>
3: oh, okay, no, like, I can't. I can't bring myself to go.
0: Yeah, because you know some of these zoos are bigger than others, right? Like, you know, I, I went to the San Diego Zoo once, and I thought, okay. You know, some of these facilities look pretty, like pretty good, like pretty, you know, they, I know. Had,
3: they, yeah. they look good. They look good. But you just have to ask yourself in the wild, would, first of all, would a giraffe be living in San Diego? No. And the <laughs> giraffe would be roaming many, many more miles than he or she does during the day. It's just, it just, they do not get to exhibit their natural behaviors right. and socialize the way they would.
2: Rebecca, Normally. thanks for coming on.
0: All right, welcome back. Let's talk about this nightmare at Sunwing Airlines now. The IT problems that the airline says they've had. They've had hundreds of passengers delayed, stranded, had their flights canceled, rescheduled. Let's talk to a couple of them now. Andrew Lipton, he's a Sunwing passenger. He's making his way home finally, uh, back home to Kelowna. Hi, Andrew. How's it going, Mike? It's going good, Andrew. Thanks for coming on. Also on the line is Danny Monahan. Danny is from Vancouver, also a Sunwing passenger. Hi, Danny. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you to both of you. Danny, let me go to you first. You were down in Cancun, right? Correct. Okay, so what happened? We
4: don't know, really. Um, Basically, (laughs) uh, you know, we were... Stranded at the airport for hours before they told us what was going on. Then we were shuttled to hotels. We didn't even know where we we're going, when we were being picked up. Kept getting changed, our flights, everything. Um, unfortunately, Sunwing was just the lack of communication was just outrageous, and I think that's everyone's frustration was on that.
0: Yeah. So, how long did this take? Like, how long were you stranded down there?
4: Uh, pretty much 24 hours. We were supposed to leave at 6:30 on Sunday, and we ended up leaving six.
0: Yeah, what, and what did they say to you? Like, I understand the communication has been a bit spotty, but they said it was an IT failure or something, right?
4: Apparently, that's what they said, but uh, we talked to the our flight crew, and even they had no idea what was going on.
0: Really? Wow. So when did you finally make it home?
4: I got home about midnight last night, um, and uh, yeah, so we were very fortunate. There's people who are still stuck down there, and people who are trying to get in and trying to get out, so we were just happy to be able to sleep in our own beds.
0: Wow, okay, now, some people might say, well, being stuck in Cancun, I can think of worse things, but <laughs> but you know, when you're having flights canceled and stuff, I mean that's not that's not fun. Like what was this like for you?
4: Uh, it definitely wasn't fun. and yeah, Cancun definitely could be worse places. You could be in the middle of a snowstorm. but yeah. the problem was is that we were always being told, 20 minutes, an hour. You know, we never had any consistency. If they told us that we were flying out at 5 o'clock and it was 7 a.m., great. We could have slept in. We could have gone to the pool. We could have enjoyed those last little while. But instead, I remember at one point for about four hours, we were told, oh, in 20 minutes, they'll be coming to pick you up. 20 minutes. So we were always on a constant uh, heightened awareness and, and stressed out about when we're leaving, make sure everybody in our party is able to get where we're going. So it was there's it just that stress. That heightened stressed all the time
0: okay danny stand by here let me get to andrew's story here andrew lipton is uh from Kelowna, finally making his way home too andrew where were you were you down in cancun too
2: yeah that's correct uh and actually i was going to be on the same flight that was supposed to come home at uh into ybr there at six thirty at night but uh yeah it's same story i mean just lack of communication and and even lies i feel like from from some of the Sunwing reps um you know we were told that you know, you're, you're for sure going to be going at this time. And then, you know, it doesn't happen. And then you get delayed another hour. Um, and then you start seeing Toronto's flight canceled for back home. And then you see Montreal's uh, flight canceled back home. And so then you start to wonder, okay, well, am I even going to make it home? Um, and, you know, I've got two young ones at home. I got a, a two-year-old and a one-year-old. And, you know, grandparents are babysitting, but they have to get back to work. I have to get back to work, and it's it was just complete chaos.
0: Yeah, and how long did this go on for you? Was it like a 24-hour thing like Danny?
2: Yeah, exact yeah. same story there for me, and, and I even ended up uh, rebooking with Air Canada. I spent $2,000 oh. to get onto another flight because I just didn't have any trust into, into Sunwing. And, and like I said, with Toronto's flight getting cancelled and Montreal's flight getting cancelled uh, yesterday morning and getting pushed to today that wasn't an option for my wife and I, we, like I said, we had to get home and we had to pick up our kids. Um, and
0: just, just
2: very, very frustrating.
0: Very oh man. Frustrating. So yeah. you ended up spending 2000 bucks to go on another flight with air Canada.
2: That's correct. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I'm
0: into, I'm into
2: my Mexico trip for over $5,000 now.
0: Oh wow. Okay. So yeah. what are you, are you, will Sunwing, uh, refund that for you? I'd be kind of maybe surprised if,
2: yeah. yeah, so basically, you know, I did a lot of research into the Travel uh, uh, Protection Agency. Uh, yeah. And basically, uh, I, I found an advocate who uh, did a little article on Sunwing. And he was basically mentioning how if your flight is canceled after a certain amount of hours, uh, Sunwing is actually supposed to be uh, putting you on another airline on their dime. Um, and so, you know, I I think I'm gonna reach out to that advocate that I saw and, and basically find out what the steps are to getting that two thousand dollars reimbursed because there's no way I'm I'm paying for that.
0: Mm. Speaking of Andrew Lipton and Danny Monahan, they uh, both had uh, a lot of trouble getting home from Mexico here the last couple of days. Hey, hey Danny, uh, Canadians are notoriously polite. Uh, going through this kind of stuff, did you see it Were people being sort of cool with this or is anyone losing their temper down there?
4: I think on Sunday night, there was definitely some people who were, were getting pretty worked up. And not a lot, but a few. And I think it was just, the, we just didn't know what was going on. And, and oh. there's, when we arrived, there was people who had been there for hours before, and we could have just stayed at our hotel if we had known. But I think overall, uh, I think we did kind of keep our cool. I know on our plane ride home, everyone was clapping and thanking the flight crew. They were as exasperated as we were and happy to get back. And uh, our group, we were a smaller group of people at a hotel, we really just kind of just sat around and hung out and we're like we're, we're here we'll enjoy it while we can we're happy we're all safe we have food there's worse places we can be and uh we're just happy we're eventually going to be able to get home so we tried to keep it as light as possible
0: yeah well that's probably a good idea you sort of roll with the punches a little bit on the, on this kind of stuff because i guess there are worse things that could happen but Man, oh, man. Talk about frustrating um, for people trying to get home. Like you mentioned, Danny, that the flight crew, when you finally did get home, the flight crew, they seemed just as frustrated. So they didn't know what was going on either. Is that was that your read on it?
1: Yeah, I actually
4: asked one of the attendants. I said, were well, you stuck down with us? And they said, yes, they were told just before they left their hotel to come do the flight that they, their flight was being delayed. But other crews had already showed up at the airport and they were being told an hour, two hours, we don't know. So it sounded like there was a universal lack of communication. But if it's my T issue, no one really knows when that's going to start working again. So I don't really necessarily blame Sunwing for that. I blame them for just not communicating it better to everybody. Official yeah. statements are great great, but it just sounds like a robot. Just say, we don't know, you we know, we're trying. That's all I would have asked, you know, had from them.
0: Yeah. Okay, Danny, yeah, thanks. Go ahead, oh, Andrew. Sorry. 30 seconds. I was, Go ahead, I
2: was just, just going to interject there and, and, and agree with, with uh, what Danny was saying there. And, you know, even, even to have a, a backup plan uh, as to what you do in that kind of situation, they, they didn't seem to have that backup plan. And yeah. I think that's what's frustrating because our Air Canada flight actually got delayed but, you know, they told us exactly why it was delayed. They told us what they're doing to fix it. And, okay. and for me, that, that's what I expected from Sunway.